This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films and more that have never been staged before or are never likely to be staged again and we talk about how we'd stage it. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. Hello, Caleb. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Jake? I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling, I'm feeling spooky. You're right, yeah. Because, you know, horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, because this week we are joined by a theatre director and practitioner whose credits include What Was Left, The Southern Playhouse, Shadowlands at Chichester Festival Theatre and Piano Play, which Caleb and I both saw at Underbelly in Edinburgh in 2019. And he was Young Company Director at the Royal Exchange and is now working freelance. And today he's agreed to stage a film with us. It's Matt Hassel. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to be here. I'm excited to have creative conversations. It feels in this current world that we find ourselves in any kind of creative outlet and creative discussion is a welcome one so i'm very excited real we're very excited as well we're excited to do uh, a, a sort of genre that we're not so uh, i don't know we're not generally that comfortable with me and jake i don't think but we're pretty excited so um mm. what film have you brought for us to talk about today matt i have brought the others <laughs> Um, for us to talk about today. Yeah, it was, yeah, 2001 um, horror film uh, written and directed by Alejandro Amenabar, starring Nicole Kidman, Christopher Eccleston, Fiona Flanagan, uh, Keith Allen, um, and a few sort of lesser known child actors as well. Um, could you give us a, a rundown of the plot for anyone that hasn't seen it, Matt? But I, we will say there's a big plot twist in this film. So if you haven't seen it, I, I would suggest go and watch it before Matt immediately mm. spoils it um, so that we can talk about yeah. it on the podcast. Definitely. Spoiler alert. Um, so the film follows the character of Grace, who's played amazingly, I think, by Nicole Kidman. And her two children, Anne and Nicholas, they live in a really big country house. Um, it's in 1945. Her husband um, has been at war for 18 months and she's not heard anything about from him or about him since he left. And we find Grace um, at the start of the film. A week ago, her servants have disappeared with no mention of where they were going or what, why they were going. And she's alone with the children in the house. The children have um, a rare condition, which means they can't be exposed to daylight. And so all of the curtains in the house have to remain closed during daylight hours. And she has a really strict regime where you can't go through one door without locking it to make sure that there's no potential exposure for the children to sunlight. And the film begins with the arrival of three new staff members or three people who've come to respond to an advert of Grace's asking for new staff in the house. And then from their arrival onwards, a series of mysterious events begin to unfold. Uh, bumps are heard, things are moved, voices are heard, and the children, particularly Anne, become convinced that there is another family in the house, a family of ghosts, particularly a little boy called Victor. Grace is super religious and doesn't believe in the afterlife, or the afterlife in that way at least. They believe ghosts are, the children believe ghosts are people that are covered in white sheets and chains. But as things start to unfold, the, the, it becomes hard for them to deny what is happening. So, so over the course then the rest of the film, Grace and the children are trying to figure out who are the ghosts. The suspicions arrive around um, the new servants, um, Mrs. Mills and Mr. Tuttle, what they're doing, what they're after. And the kind of ghostly occurrences get more and more intense, including at one point all the curtains in the house vanish and Grace is like so meticulous about making sure the children never get near daylight. Uh, and the kind of children have more and more interactions with ghostly figures, which takes us then as the film unravels, what we start to discover is that actually it is Grace and the children and the servants who are the ghosts and they are haunting the house. And it transpires that Grace has killed her children prior to the events of the film and the whole film is about there and her reconciliation with her guilt and her and what she's done 
Yeah, absolutely. I did. Lovely. You're a great storyteller. You told that so beautifully. <laughs> I was enthralled. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's I was like, actually, it's it's really simple story to to talk about. And then the moment I started talking, I was like, actually, it's really complex. And <laughs> lots, lots, and lots happens. There is, um, yeah. There is one moment. I guess the only thing is um, there is a moment when Grace's husband returns, played by a very young-looking Christopher Eccleston, and uh, and he's there for a short time, and he's he seems very strange. He seems almost uh well he seems almost like a, a walking corpse in some ways he's very he's not very talkative and yeah there's something off about him and then he just says oh i'm off back to war even though the war has already ended um and so there's yeah that whole thing is a kind of a i guess a, a foreshadowing that there's something something not quite right about everything that's going on yeah i think um his return is uh I guess they've, they've spent so much of the film waiting to find out where he is and how he is and what he is mm. now. Um, and that moment when he returns is, is different and then he vanishes mm. feels like a big kind of, um, gear shift in what's happening. And I should, uh, I guess it makes me think about the servants as well, Mrs. Um, Mills and Mr. Tuttle. They, they, um, there's an increasing sense that they are hiding something themselves. They're hiding some gravestones in the grounds of the house. We don't know who the gravestones belong to, but it transpires that the gravestones belong to them. Um, and uh, they are there. They've come almost as like guides to Grace to, to help her to understand. Yeah. It feels like. Um, and there's sort of, yeah, there's a, it feels, there's a point in the film where I think it feels like they're, they're devious and they're going to do something to harm them. Yeah. Whereas actually they're there to support them and help them to understand. Yeah, I think that's part of what I loved about this film is in the end, the conclusion isn't that like someone is out to murder someone or someone's out to sort of avenge their death or anything like this. In the end, it's kind of like this big miscommunication that helps Nicole Gibbons' character sort of realize something about herself, which is kind of, yeah, a sort of, sort of slightly strange arc for a horror movie. But I enjoyed that mm. sort of subversion of the genre, I think. I totally agree because I think the best horror films um, are the ones that have got heart to them. I do love like a, a thrill and a spill, which I call those like horror films that are just lots of jumping and, you know, quite... Um, they're designed to ramp up the tension every five minutes. But there's something about this that feels like, A, it's a slow burn, so the tension builds in a different way. But it has, it's really character driven and the kind of, um, emotional journey of the characters feels really, really clear and really well drawn in a way that often it's maybe not the case or what we might expect in horror. And it, it I think there's something about, it feels like a, a sort of sneaky horror, I think, yeah. in the sense that it's it feels like it's going to be something different and then it sort of um, surprises you. Reminds me a little bit of The Orphanage as well, which is a, another <laughs> house in the country, ch- children, ghosts, uh, mother has lost a child and is convinced ghosts have taken him, mm. which is a Spanish film, which is also really, really brilliant. But it's got heart, it's got real heart at the centre of it in terms of like... Um, yeah, character journey and family and what those things mean that I think gives it a, di- a different edge. I was interesting to put it in the context for me of The Sixth Sense coming out two years before this and it having almost the same twist in the sense mm. of like the per- the person that you thought was de- alive was dead all along. And I wonder, I don't know, I, I, that felt weird to me that like it had the same twist and they're so close together and I wonder how it was received at the time I and mean, I hadn't heard of this film but as as we've kind of mentioned I'm I'm not really someone who knows much about horror in the first place yeah it's interesting I, I guess that um there was a sort of audience um interest in like a subversion of cinema as we know it and I think that that happened a lot in the late 90s uh, and then in the early 2000s in that like audiences were i guess tired of a certain type of new cinema that had come through in the 70s and so it was kind of like a, a new sort of twist on all the genres that they'd been seeing for the last 20 40 years yeah i guess what in staging it the 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 question that i think we'll probably end up talking about at some point is how do we is it is it not well known enough that we could keep the twist as it is or you know is there a way of making that twist feel fresh on stage whatever you know whatever way we might do that what i think is interesting about the twist is that first of all we love i I love a twist i just it's like it just makes me excited 
I think that's sort of, and especially rewatching it when you know the twist, you get to sort of, it's like watching two, you get to see a film twice. Mm. You see it before knowing and then you see it again after knowing and what, and then you sort of watch it differently. Uh, but also I think there's like a second story, right? I, I was thinking this watching it again over the weekend. What would the story be like from the point of view of the family who are being haunted? Yeah. Um, and like how interesting or not would that be? And that would probably be much more of our archetypal kind of familiar ground. Whereas the sort of subversion of taking it from a new point of view is interesting. And just what you, what you just said as well, I wonder how interesting it would be if we knew from the beginning, like what journey that would be. If we, if we knew, but the characters didn't know, like if we knew what had happened, but, and we were watching Grace and, um, uh, Anne and Nicholas discover what's happened to them, what, what that point of view might do and whether that would be interesting yeah or maybe not from the very beginning maybe actually that's something you could do with the in theater we get the you know the wonder of the act break the interval maybe that's something you could do with that in the in the second act when we bring the audience back in we could bring them in with a host you know a whole host of characters they've never seen before and it transpires though that's the family that were already there um, and that are alive and maybe there's something you could do with that where we spend the first half in in mystery but then we we met, we give that revelation earlier to the audience and then the third act uh centers around us knowing what the revelation is but grace and the children not knowing maybe there's a way of making that work i'm not sure yeah i think that's interesting structurally about how that works in terms of yeah how uh, the yeah what 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 structured story might take in a theatrical format um and when when you reveal I think is interesting on that journey unraveling. Yeah, because that that is an issue as well that I wanted to talk about was that there's this whole five extra cast members that are only in the last scene, which you can't really justify in a theatre with, um, I can't remember her name, whoever plays Catelyn Stark and and that lot. But you're right, let's get on to talking about how we would put it in a theatre. I guess where I am starting from is a place of the only horror theatre, in inverted commas, that I guess I've seen is The Woman in Black. And otherwise, when I think horror in physical spaces, I think of, you know, uh, mazes and things like that. And so there's not a whole lot of, for me anyway, base on which to build. Um, I have got one kind of basic staging idea, but I'd love to hear from you guys first. Do you have any kind of base idea for what kind of scale, what kind of what kind of set? What kind of thing would this look like? It's interesting you mentioned The Woman in Black because that is one of the reasons that I picked this film because The Woman in Black was a really, is a really early theatre-going memory for me. Um, I was about 14 and went to see it because we were studying it for GCSE, but I couldn't go to the school trip for whatever reason. So me and someone else from my class went and saw it separately. And why that's important is because our... Um, her mum took us and dropped us off really early. So we were at the theatre half an hour before the show started and we, um, they opened the house and we were the first two people in the whole theatre and we were sat in the second row in the middle and we were already freaked out before it even begun <laughs> because this, just being in an empty spooky theatre and sort of ambient sounds they were playing pre-show it was just so palpable and it's really stayed in my head how how spooky I found the whole thing and then the whole show and how interesting I found it at the time how it was staged. Interestingly, I went to see The Woman in Black again maybe two years ago. I took my partner to see it because he'd never seen it. And I was like, this is going to scare you so much. <laughs> and then we watched it and I was like, oh, it's totally not what I remember it being. And I'm not that scared. And so that, I thought this is an interesting provocation. How do you make something in the theatre scary? And was it not scary watching The Woman in Black again because I'd already seen it and I knew what was going to happen? Or was it actually I just remembered it be the experience of it was way scarier than the actual watching of it so going to cycle back to the question about um staging it i so there's three different versions i have in my head if i if i may be so bold yeah. as to you may to offer them the first i think is like it is um fully realized version of the house on stage and i guess is like uh us in the theater space watching watching that world on stage this, I really, the second idea is I really love the storytelling element to it. You know how the film starts once upon a time. There's sort of a sense, I guess, is that, that, um, link to childhood and childhood storytelling that I guess, which is maybe borrowing from the woman in black a little bit, that is there a version of the show that's much more about storytelling and imagination and is the scares, uh, so something that's much more stripped back, much more about asking the audience to fill in the gaps and imagine what's happening. Whereas the first version feels like, it would be much more a fully realized, illusions-based mm. version of the film. And then the third, I love immersive. 
work. And I'm like, I want to go to a big hooky spooky Babadooky house <laughs> and make a uh, immersive version of this show, which formally and experientially would have to be really different to in terms of the structure of the narrative. But I think there's some. This film is so atmospheric and so kind of mood driven mm. that I I wonder if what it, what would a version of this be like where the audience were like living it rather than watching it. Yeah, I I had initially been thinking about it as doing this like huge, like a a set that's like feels like a doll's house on stage, and uh, and you do like even two floors and they're all on these big rotations so that you could move between rooms and corridors and all this and i was thinking oh that'd be really exciting but then uh i also yeah i was also thinking about immersive theater and maybe even doing something where um you know i guess if you did it during the daytime you could have the curtains up and be doing it all by candlelight and then have moments where the curtains are opened and we see the day come in and it means that you could even maybe even get multiple performances in each day um, and I was thinking about like, is there a way of doing it where it's actually really small? Like you only have maybe 10 or 15 audience members and you start the show as a seance um, and then you end the show as a seance. And it turns out the audience are the people that are alive the whole time or something along those lines. I think that's really interesting because I was thinking, who did, the, who did the audience play in, in, in the immersive uh, version? Like what's the role of the audience? And I think that's in, that's interesting in terms of how they access it my thought then is what does that mean does that reveal what's happening or is it that they just are transported to a different time in the house so they're getting to watch things i because that my thinking was that they knew staff or so it feels like yeah. what's interesting about the structure of the film is that the staff are inducted into the house so we in some ways we follow the journey um of mrs mills and mr tuttle and lydia as they're um sort of inducted into the world of the house and we sort of get to see then as they get more immersed into it, we get to be more immersed into it. But then the thing is that the, the, they're there because they're bringing the message of that they're all in the afterlife. So therefore, it kind of feels like that doesn't work for the audience. So I talked myself round and out of that yeah, one. Yeah, it's difficult. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out myself. I think if there's one character we have the same knowledge of, it's probably the boy throughout the film yeah do you not think as far as the actual amount of knowledge that we have because he knows nothing yeah yeah (laughs) yeah although i guess we know that's we get shown stuff that the servants do that's true um do do, before we delve further do you how does your idea fit into all of this jay yeah no yeah so so my idea was kind of like it was basically i i really really like this idea of the doors as a device uh, as this whole every single scene revolves around opening and closing and opening and closing and opening and closing yeah. doors and it's such an integral part to what's happening in the show um and so my idea kind of revolved around that and basically i i thought of a kind of halfway house between the minimalist and the kind of fully immersive set which would basically be like a hamilton style double revolve with like doors all the way around in the middle and then these various different rooms around the outside. Um, so like maybe one, there's like a bed and there's gravestones and leaves and stuff. And there's one with a table and things like that. And then the windows all along the outside curtains, mm. as it were. So that we could then get, try and really create that feeling of movement between the rooms. Because I think it's quite, I thought, I thought that, I found that a really interesting part. And yeah, so that was my kind of like base idea and then i felt like that would be easier there's there's some effects that are hard depending on what you're doing like taking away the curtains or swapping the girl for the old woman and stuff like that i thought that might start to find some solutions towards that but if you two are both are both on the immersive track then i'm really happy to go down that road i think the imagery of the doors is really striking to me i think there's so much in the whole film that's like about the sort of carries metaphor and i hadn't thought of like with the door like sort of crossing thresholds and coming in and out of places and like that is a is just an interesting motif that i think i sort of you know you go through one door and you, what's on the other side because the house also feels massive yeah. that's the thing that i i'd forgotten and then re-watching it i was like wow it's not the house is way bigger than I remember it being, and and sort of that expanse of being in this big echoey, sort of cavernous place, um, feels re- and feeling very small in it feels like that is a sort of like, um, and it would be quite confusing. It's a bit of a labyrinth to be in if you didn't know your way around. It could really be really kind of um, nightmarish in terms of you know like you open one door and you think you're somewhere else and you sort of keep looping and lapping back on yourself. 
so I think that is a really interesting um, the sort of images of the doors and what the doors represent and how they might appear on stage feels exciting, I think. I just was thinking as you were talking, which feels looping us back to um, who the audience might be in an immersive version, is I was thinking of the audience, other people who are haunting the house. Mm. Right? Because there's a set, the, she says, um, Mrs. Mills says something really lovely at the end where she says, sometimes we'll, others will come, other intruders will come, and sometimes we'll make contact with them and sometimes we won't. I'm paraphrasing a little bit what um, yeah. she says. But the sense that there's that layers of history living within that building, I sort of that feels really exciting. And I wonder if there's a way, there's almost like two reveals that's like the reveal of the story you're watching, which is that Grace and the children are ghosts. And then is there a double experience for the audience where it transpires that they're also ghosts yeah. uh, within the, in the, in the house? Ghosts that just didn't line up. I really like that. That's really cool. I guess what I, I bring in here is like this idea of, of what can you tell an audience to experience and and then and they'll take it if that makes sense so i'm thinking of like there was there's quite a famous production called 60 minutes in damascus um that was on a lift a few years ago and it was it's got had quite a lot written about it because it was basically that you were supposed to feel as if you'd been kidnapped by syrian terrorists basically um and it was quite poorly reviewed basically because the the lack of the lack of like reality of that situation, the fact that you know you bought a ticket to that, the difficulty in suspending your disbelief in that situation made it really difficult to like buy into anything you were seeing. And so mm. I, I worry about this idea of like, you're dead. Imagine you're dead, because no one knows what that kind of means. Or even at, any, and at the end, there's a twist being like, oh, surprise, you're dead. Now leave and go out about your, about your lives. I find that, yeah. I wonder whether it'd be more interesting if there is still a twist but the twist is that they are at a seance and they're and they are seeing people who are dead as opposed when they thought they were seeing people who were alive might be an easier thing to buy i don't know i I guess in some ways though you don't even need to point it out if that makes sense like it can be that through the creative process we acknowledge that the audience's role is they're also dead people in a a, you know that haven't crossed paths physically um but but actually, at the end, I don't think that necessarily needs to be revealed. I don't think, you know, Mrs. Mills needs to say, and you were all dead as well. But I think, <laughs> you know, in her saying, you know, we cross paths with all of these intruders at different times. I think there's enough there to say, oh, the role I was playing there is I'm another intruder in this house. I think as a seated audience member, I think. But I think in an immersive space, I'd find that difficult. There's the um, Book of the Dead in it as well, isn't there? The photographs. I was like, it'd be a really interesting moment if the audience looked i don't know how you know how you orchestrate that at the beginning everyone has their portrait taken in some way and it's for something else but then there's a point later in the show where you open the book of the dead and everyone's photos are in there um and you know that there's the way it's how you communicate what their role is i was also wondering that i always think with um creating something which is immersive or experiential is like what to what degree as well as casting them what is the ask of the audience so are they voyeurs, but they're just immersed in it? Or are they? do they have influence and impact and change over what happens? Or the, the, the is there a dialogue between them or not? Then I think also determines like who, what role they have. So if actually for the mechanics of the production, they're more voyeuristic, then actually they can, they can be a role which is a little bit more in the shadows. Whereas if they're going to have, if, for example, they're the people at the seance, they are the people who live in the house and they, from Grace's point of view, have a massive impact on her because the, the piano playing, the curtains going, the opening and the closing of the doors. So actually the audience hypothetically maybe have to be quite active in making some of that stuff happen and that Grace then can't see, uh, we can see Grace, but Grace can't see us in that moment. Um, or are the audience watching the people who've done the seance then do that stuff and what the d- degrees of separation mean then feels like a massive uh, pull, pull of the thread that if they're if it's more um audience in the auditorium and us on the stage we don't have that but i love i love wrestling with those things about finding the rules of like um involvement and um influence from the audience yeah i wonder if there's a way of doing it where we we have control of the audience for some of it uh, you know the opening the opening where the um, Mrs. Mills and, and the other um, staff are being shown around the house, the audience are, are follow and 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 uh, join on that tour, so they get to know the space. 
Um, and there's you know moments like that where we control where the audience are, what they're viewing. But then there's moments where they're just free to roam the house. And so their actions are just, you know, they can, they can have an impact. And I guess you could, that could, you know, involve improvisational elements where the the cast are running about to different parts of the house to experience things that they wouldn't have experienced in other performances of this. But maybe there are moments where we rein the audience in and then moments where we let them just do whatever they want. That's what I think is so exciting about um, that kind of work is that formally then the show has to be something completely different. I mean, you sort of have to relinquish the narrative structure that we inherit from the film and, and reinvent it into something else which i think that the question of adaptation then becomes really interesting i think is about how how and what you're adapting because of the the, the 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 way we receive information would have to be kind of um completely sort of re-examined and restructured yeah that well that's partly why i guess at first i was thinking about the seance because that's a really easy way to give information to our audience because you can sit them down at a table and you can say, okay, this is how this evening's going to work. I'm the person leading the seance and I can tell you exactly what all of it means and what all of it's going to look like. Um, and I can give you that information whenever I want to, but yeah, maybe offering them a different role. It means that perhaps we have to feed them information differently. Uh, but perhaps also it means it could be quite exciting in a way that you give different audience members receive different bits of information as well. So, uh, you know, three audience members stumble into one room and there's an actor there and they say, look, this is what you're going to do now. Um, and, and audience members would, you know, they want to, they want to be a part of the action. So you stumble into one room and they say, okay, you're going to go and play the piano and you're going to take the curtains down in this room. So then when the other audience members arrive in that room, it's already happened and it's exciting and it's kind of scary. And you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. You just made me think I was getting really carried away now. I'm going to think about not, I'm going to relinquish worrying about the logic, but there's a really interesting thing. If you split the audience and half the audience are the others, like, but like <laughs> who are the others? So like half the audience are in the spirit world and half the audience are in the living world and and so i love that idea of like getting that then they influence each other i think it feels really exciting it'd probably be an absolute logistical nightmare to orchestrate but relinquishing the worry about that stuff i sort of love the idea that they're being tasked to do different things very much like we said at the beginning like what would the version of this story be if it was told from the point of view of the people um the intruders as they get called the people who just moved into the house who are in the living world as we know it and there's maybe there's something in that about the audience being split mm. and in being in two different camps that allows the exploration of both points of view of the of the story which could be interesting i think there's such an amazing i, I just think there's a real move to like experiential work that even if going back to like it being in a slightly more traditional theater space i think that for me the pull would be how do you make that feel immersive even though the audience are you know uh, in the auditorium and the action is on the stage how how does it like it feel this what i love about the film is it feels like the atmosphere like bubbles out of the screen into into your house and if like me i was watching it at night and i had some candles lit mm. in the house and suddenly i was like oh i feel like i'm i'm here it's like how could you how could you attain that and uh, <laughs> achieve that sorry in a theater space where it f i think it, you want to feel like your part i think it wants to feel like it's surrounding you and that like the there's yeah it's sort of um then i was like does everyone in the audience have headphones on you know so it's very sound based and it's um i love mm. all the dark field stuff i don't know if you've done any of the things over lockdown on the dark field radio um, which are, uh, audio experience is designed to be experienced at home. They, it's a slight tangent, but it, it, they, I see, going back to Edinburgh, which my Edinburgh before, I've seen some of their, like, experienced some of their shows. Their shows normally happen in shipping containers and they're just, they're just audio. So you go into a shipping container and it's set up in a certain way, depending on, yeah. there was one that was a seance. That's what's making me think of it. You went in, you sat on a, a big, long seance table, put headphones on. Um, there was a bell above the, and a light above the table, and it flickers and goes off. And obviously, because you're in a shipping container, you're plunged into total darkness. And then everything happens by audio, but the sound design is so incredible. And your imagination really flares up that it really, even though your back is, you're sat against a shipping container, you can feel it on your back. The sound is so incredible that you, it really feels like there are people walking around you and talking to the point where when I saw one of their other shows, I was so engrossed in it, in the darkness and the power of the sound and my imagination that I had to, I had to leave because I was so like, so incredibly overwhelmingly, um, designed that I be believed I was there. And so it's how do you bring that into it, into the space as well? That, um, mm. how sound and being in the dark can really 
trigger uh, your imaginative thinking. That's awesome. I, I was going to say, I think, I really think what you've described is possible. I, I really like that idea of, because my issue before was was this kind of idea of like, ooh, you were a ghost and you didn't know it. And ha, didn't wasn't that a twist? And I think, I think this idea has now really moved away from that. And I really like this whole idea of like, but you've only got two or three actors and actually the entire thing is orchestrated was orchestrated by those people but it it the the audience creates both sides of the narrative and and their actions really affect what they're immersed in and and also i think it's a the other thing i was gonna gonna say is the heritage sector right now is is really looking at this kind of stuff how they can use like how we can use listed buildings and and uh, buildings of, uh, of interest to the heritage sector to create experiences like this um especially over the last year or so billions and billions of pounds have been have been lost by by the national trust and and english heritage etc because there's no one currently able to visit their sites and so and they really are interested in those kind of experiences and i think yeah if we could find you know a big old manor house and really you know logistically plan it as you say so that people so that audience members essentially put on a show for the other half of the audience i think that's an awesome idea and this yeah. idea of a haunted house where you do the haunting which again i i haven't i don't think exists i think i think is really fresh and a, and a really great way to take inspiration from this film yeah and i wonder i'm wondering now whether we scrap actors all together and it's like so kind of you 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 know it's you can pay for a ticket either to be experiencing it or to be creating it and those are two different types of ticket you could buy. And then maybe there's people that guide you as a creator. And then there's, you know, people that invite you in as a, as a, someone experiencing it, but then the rest is just happens live and you just, it all happens to you in that moment. Um, which is getting beyond, I don't know, is this still theater? If we're just telling the audience, I think, no, I think it is, other? especially if we give, if we can give them a, a direction and an objective, I think that that might yeah. be now where the sticking point is. If you just say, you know, go, go in, have fun, touch things, whatever, then that, then we kind of lose the tension. If we give people an objective, yeah. find something out, you know, make it like a game. I'm thinking of like Rogue Immersive, that, that, that company where, you know, um, yeah we make we make something into like uh, has it has an objective for both sides of the audience find this out or uh or get this person to leave or something along those lines i think or let the daylight in something as simple as that i think is i think would really create attention and my mind is triggering in two directions part of me is like oh i love i love this idea of completely like um <laughs> rethinking how we experience something makes me so um so excited my thing that my my then the other half of my mind goes to the thing that i think loops back to something you said earlier that i love about it is that sort of idea of it being character-led that it feels like that this part of it would lose that and i think there's something about following grace through this story and the sort of um the um, the yeah the um, the emotional yeah the, what, what's the word the sort of um I guess the emotional experience that that character is having as a result of what's happening and that being linked into something which is about kind of family and loss and grief and trauma post-war feels like, oh, how would that manifest without character? Is the other part, what the other part of my brain goes to. So I feel like, yeah, it was, is there a fusion of those two things? Cause I, I, I think this idea of like, do, Going to a haunted house where you do the haunting—that is a tag. That is a tagline for something that I want to. I want to to go to. <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. I think maybe I've got a thought of how we make that happen. In that the characters we have. So keeping this idea of separating, you are either you either you know I'm going to purchase a ticket to be haunted or to be a haunter. And the way you make this work maybe is that the haunters follow. Mrs. Mills and um, oh, I can't remember the name of the the guy, Mr. Mr. Tuttle. Tuttle and Lydia, <laughs> and Lydia. Um, they follow them, and they're they're given objectives of stuff like let the light in and things like this, all to to show you know uh, Grace that she's dead and the kids are dead, and then the the haunted um follow Grace and the children. Um, and they're given objectives to to work out this mystery of why is there lots of bangs and scrapes and all the sorts going on in the house. But the way that we get to experience the, the entirety of it, first of all, you can say, uh, okay, go out. Here's your objective. Go out and do this for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And then we're going to regather once you've done your objective. But we use locked doors to 
close off which parts of the house you can go and explore at any point. Um, and then the moment where what's been set in motion by the haunters affects the haunted is moments where those doors are then unlocked. We go through the door and we see what's happened. So let the light in. They go around taking all the curtains down in half the house, but you know can't cross with the other audience. And then somehow maybe we bring them behind like a like a two-way mirror or something like this in a different room and then they watch the haunted come in and see all of the changes that have taken place and they also get to see grace's experience and see her reacting to that and then see her character development through that as well so maybe there's yeah ways of using locked doors and two-way mirrors and things like this for everyone to see the character growth but also to keep this half the audience does and half the audience experiences. Totally. And I was just thinking about it would need the sort of development of like a of the live the living, if if we're to call the intruders as they get called in the in the film, but the in the living world to us, like what that narrative would be that we would follow there, because that I guess is the sense of people trying to make sense of something otherworldly happening in their house. But from the, mm. I guess the question I'm asking myself is, what's the arc of that story? And in the, in the way that um, Grace's story has the arc that we know, how how to make the arc of the haunted as e- a sort of an equally interesting journey that it doesn't feel like they live in the sort of uh, trope of the ghost story that we know. And I don't I don't know what that is, but my mind is going, how do you make how do you make the haunted they're living. <laughs> so many terminology. They're living, yeah. This day, I, but I yeah, think, yeah. But I think, I, I'm not sure this, that's as much of a problem as it seems on first sight. Because if we remember that this whole idea that we're getting from the others is this idea that, like, both sides feel like they are haunted. And so I almost mm. wouldn't want to think of them as the haunted and the hauntees. I'd almost want to, in developing it, almost forget try and blind like double blind which one is really alive or not and come up with an experience where both feel like they are being haunted yeah both feel like they're being haunted or both feel like they're the haunters or almost like the experience is almost identical in that sense and then who's actually alive becomes almost immaterial other than who which plot they're following if that makes sense so I, I would say rather than following the servants, maybe those that other side are following the modern day people who are the Victor's family, who are, yeah. you know, these strange things are happening to them. I, I wonder whether that would solve it. But then I don't know what the servants do in that version. I'm completely with you on that. Maybe even we, maybe either we take the servants out or maybe I'm thinking now we scrap the two-way mirror. The living never see Grace and the children. Maybe the living see the servants and their characters in that story as if their actual servants still alive, but the servants are also dead servants for grace. And I'm thinking maybe these two audiences never meet each other, but they they are both creating a haunting for each other, if that makes sense. A two-way haunting. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, that, I think that's interesting. I feel like, this, I feel like um, Mrs. Mills and Mr. Tuttle and Lydia become feel like they're the linchpin i don't know why but it feels like that it feels like actually they're they're the they're kind of um because they know the house and they know the house through its different iterations and they also they sort of literally know the house like they know it um mrs mill says i know it you know i know it like the back of my hand they sort of know the geography inside out but also they know the history so they know the house in its kind of um, bricks and mortar sense but they also know it's it's wider spiritual memory sense that it feels like they are the people who who can kind of link and bridge between the different planes of existence that happen in that in that space it also makes me interested just thinking about if this is in a real house what the history of that what that building gives you already like what's the history of that building i would 100 percent want to build that in yeah mm. yeah and how it feels it feels kind of connected to to it my my question again that again i keep asking myself with no answer is then is it an adaptation of the others or is it something entirely different <laughs> uh, um uh, you know like is it or where where adaptation becomes interesting is like if it's influenced by inspired by if it's an adaptation and all of these kind of um terms of uh phrase for how we might describe it but I, it feels like it do you know what I mean? I think that's such an interesting um, yeah. thought. Well, I think because a, a lot of people refer to the others as an adaptation of Turn of the Screw, the the novella by Henry James, but it is very different. It's set at a different time. The characters are entirely different. She's the mother rather than a governess. It has psychological thriller elements and it has similar themes to an extent, but uh, you know, Turn of the Screw is not 
you know, framed around grief at all in the same way. I think, uh, so it's interesting that that is almost an adaptation that really pulls away from its source material. And then this again would be an adaptation of an adaptation that would be miles <laughs> away from the source material as well. The, th- the thing that you just made me think about as well, which uh, again, more food for thought is about in terms of the screw and in the others there's like a real thread of doubt like um Mm. who's who is telling the truth that feels interesting and sort of uh, there's something yeah kind of um alive about that that you you know you're doubting are the children in in the others um are anna nicholas telling the truth about what they're hearing are mrs mills lydia and mr tuttle telling the truth about what they do or don't know and i think the film sort of plays with our sort of trust in the in them and then also is grace telling like is, there's this, this sense that great you know they talk about you know that that grace did something previously which we, by the end of the film we learn out what that learn what that was but that there's a sense that grace is unreliable as well and i was thinking in this kind of the are you the haunter or the haunted is interesting but does that remove the sense of doubt that is kind of alive in it and does that matter if there's no sense of doubt because it becomes more if you know you're doing something which is impacting another group of people and you know that other people are doing something that's impacting you there's no there's a sort of a, a, a certainty about that that in the film it feels like there's there's an uncertainty about who to trust and who to believe for a long time mm. I'm, I'm wondering maybe this if this is a way we can use the two-way haunting where uh you know we're on a, a ticket to a a theater you know regular theater show you'd be shown to you know go up staircase a or staircase b go through this door or that door um maybe your ticket says go through the front door or go through the back door and we don't is there a way maybe we could hide from the audience the fact that there is another audience and so things are happening to them and they're like hold on but i thought i was doing these things but these things are happening to me and and there's a sense of like oh this is really strange that you know, I, I thought this objective was maybe even the objectives don't seem like they would be haunting someone. Um, and and it's only at the end we find a way to make both audiences see each other and experience the fact that they've both been haunting each other. So maybe they've not known there's a second audience. And so there is doubt there about why am I doing these things? What impact are they having? And then why am I seeing things that have been done seemingly by someone else? That feels really, that kind of stuff feels really exciting to me. I also think the part of me just goes, I just want to run around a big house. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and actually that that uh, it doesn't like to what degree does the um sort of the logic come into play because I, I I love the idea that you don't like you don't know there are other people in the in their building with you. That feels really exciting and then there becomes a point where that you know that the two have to coexist. I think would feel like a really a really exciting thing and would really play into that sense of like you you just don't um that you don't know what else is happening around you feels i think yeah really exciting yeah i've just i've just had this image of of that two-way mirror thing you just mentioned caleb and we find some way that isn't to do with the mirror of drawing drawing both sides of a wall both sides of an audience towards that mirror and then suddenly the mirror kind of becomes visible as a window to both parties at the same time yeah. when you didn't even know there was anyone else before. I've always had that, just had that image in my head. It's really, that is, I really I like that this. Would be fascinating. It? And if you made that a centerpiece of the house is this huge wall length mirror on two sides of a wall. Um, it's something that you would inevitably notice each time you go around the house. I'm thinking you're in sort of half the house at a time and locked doors prevent you. And then each time you go around, you cycle around, mm. you'd notice that. And then to use that as the way of seeing, uh, yeah, beyond your realm into the next is, yeah, I think that that could be almost terrifying, that moment of revelation. That would be crazy. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Penhurst Place, by the way, in Cambridge is where some of it was actually filmed, which is also which is a listed building. So that, oh, right. that's a possible location. <laughs> yeah, the worry of listed building to me is: can we let people run around and do whatever they want, <laughs> or are in they a not allowed to do way, anything? Yeah. That's a good um, point. But but there, there's definitely a way of figuring that out, and a, definitely a way of saying, you know, of making it clear: these are the things that you can pull and play with, and then there are things that you cannot, and you, you know, <laughs> in some way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that sort of 
ghosts and ghosts and the, what are the what are um, the zoom rules for ghosts and what they can and can't. Um, <laughs> I was also just thinking then about like this, like sound. So if we were talking about being in in a theatre space, sound feels like it would be really important uh in terms of i guess uh sound of location but also um soundtrack and score and underscoring and how that would um, you know affect mood and feel and tone and i was wondering if you're in what role sound plays if you're in the building because it feels like again a question without an answer is does the tonal atmospheric sound building sit okay there we just buy into the fact that, that it, you know we sort of win the reality we're in the reality of the space but we're also affected by things that are above us because also that would actually probably be quite helpful in covering the sound of other parties in the of the bit in the building but also what would it be what would it, it be to be only to have no sound in it you know no music sound mm-hmm. i mean um yeah well i'm wondering about one of the creepiest uses of music in the film is the diegetic music of the piano and I'm wondering if, you know, if we have a piano in the space, but we also, maybe we, there, there's times where we have other instruments. Maybe there was a particularly musical family that lived here before. Uh, you know, I don't know, like, <laughs> I'm thinking about instruments that people can just pick up and play, which I think is difficult. But maybe there's violins or things like that or pianos. Yeah, and the... that makes sense of the logic, though, I think. I think if, the, if, we, if we connect the, if the, the instruments exist in the house and then we be, heard them being played and that is, that is the... So the score that helps control the, the mood and tone and tension i think it's that's that makes because then that's another set of ghosts that we never see who just play music um yeah. so, so it works it works in two ways it logically fits but also because i think that's part that's so part of the horror experience right and those prolonged chords that are mm. just teetering on something before mm. they explode and this whole idea as well of it's using the woman in black that we we've, we've mentioned a few times where um you have these kind of silences that aren't really silence they feel like silence but there's actually little bits of noise in them and and that sudden change in volume is what gives you that jump and and you can you can direct people towards how much they should anticipate something about to happen using the sound i actually think it's quite on the nose in the others in the film but it yeah that and the way that's been used i'm thinking of um the inheritance i think the the the, that's been used in modern horror films to kind of subvert those kind of musical tropes i was also just thinking that like i do quite a lot of escape rooms and when i've been in escape rooms often the thing that keeps me grounded in reality is the fact that i can look up in the little corner and see a speaker playing some stupid creepy music (laughs) um and i can go yeah yeah we're in a room with the speaker um and so i i'd be really keen to try and i i like the instrument thing but i don't know how constant you can make it because I think you'd be like, okay, well, if there's a piano player, I'm going to go and find the piano this whole time. So I almost feel like you'd, we could maybe set it a little bit further along. We could scrap the no electricity thing and we could maybe have a couple of gramophones and radios and mm. maybe so we can just kind of a general sound of like maybe static and, and uh, various kind of background noises we can create by just shifting with the setting a little bit. Um, I wonder whether that, would help i don't yeah i don't think you need to shift the setting in time at all i think that it's explained away that there's no ex- electricity in the, in the film because <laughs> yeah. they want things to be by candlelight which is creepy and i, I just, like I, I love this i love this. I, that's my the thing i find a bit hammy about this film is the way in the first five minutes it goes yes so um for reasons we have no light and no electricity <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> I, it, what's great is though is it just is like this is the premise you're going to accept it yeah. and now we're going to run with it <laughs> yeah um yeah, I, I think, but yeah, that thing of gramophones, radios, maybe even having like somewhere a, a landline phone, but if you pick it up, it's just like, just like a dead tone as if it's the lines have been cut or something. Mm. I mean, that it's could just be then, fun. If there's electricity for a while, then it just crying out for a power cut at some point, which is even... Um, oh, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, going back to it being hammy at times and the tropes, there's something also about those tropes that are so great that I think, you know, you go into something like this with those expectations. It's a ghost story in a country house. and like, I am here for all of those tropes. I, I love the spooky <laughs> house. I love the mist. I love the, like, gnarled trees outside. Yeah, like that tree. All, all of that kind of gothic imagery. Um that it feels quite yeah it is is tropey and and at times there is it definitely I think walks a line sometimes between melodrama and feeling quite authentic which I again I I sort of I love all of it. for me I just the thrill of it sort of treading the line between all of those things is really exciting so I sort of think you also 
Um, you sort of, I'm here, yeah, I'm here for it. I want, I want, <laughs> I want the the room going into the room with objects covered in sheets, where it, where there's like you know mannequin arms sticking out from underneath it. Which that junk room they have in the film <laughs> is like, I mean, it's a, yeah. a, a really eclectic set of junk. But I think it's, um, <laughs> I think I, I love, I, do, I just, I just, um, yeah, all of the the hooky spooky babadooky stuff. I um um um. Uh, give it, give it to me, and especially if I'm <laughs> if I'm in, in a country house, I, I want it, I yeah. want it, and then some. Well, I wonder about as well. Is there um, is there a, a moment where you take one half or both halves in some capacity out into the grounds as well to experience that sort of gothic feel of the grounds, and maybe you take them through part. If we set it, you know, if we put it on at like dusk, they come in whilst it's light, but then they have to go back out into the grounds for some reason, and it's dark, and they have to go through the woods and maybe there's something you could do there i don't know that's all yeah and that could be when the other side has to search the house (laughs) yeah 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 there's definitely a way of bringing all that together that would be a great reveal moment actually there's the the bit where you um there's a bit in the film where they i can't quite remember who it is but someone's looking out uh, of the of the window of the house onto the grounds and they see each other that would be another great reveal kind of moment for you know the parties but i do wonder i I get so excited i'm like god it's really exciting and then you're plunged into total darkness and then there's these (laughs) sounds and then there's this and then you and then it's you're in a house so it's terrifying and i i have to go actually i need to just remember how um how potent actually less is more uh, (laughs) particularly when you're there in the building that as much as i'm like here for all of the the ghostly side i think as making it, I'd feel I'd be excited. But actually, if I was to go and experience this, not knowing anything about it, I think I'd find it quite anxiety-inducing and actually um, yeah. striking the balance between it being thrills and spills and it not being terrifying would be um, important. And I get sometimes my excitement gets carried away with all the possibilities. Make no mistake, I would absolutely not attend this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would, I would not either. And the, <laughs> the restraint of the film is one of its greatest strengths because it only has maybe like three or four set pieces that are really meant to spook you and the rest of it is all about tension and atmosphere and kind of building that. And yeah, and, and suggestion I think is really, it's like, it's about the nudge of the imagination that I think, and, and not knowing, it's the not knowingness that becomes... And it's that doubt thing again, like what, who, what, where, when, why is happening. And the more, ins- I think the potency is in the insinuation rather than tipping over into sort of um, more kind of slasher horror, which is much more kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a scare every few moments. Yeah. Mm. And I think what's perfect about the concept we've come up with is that um, it relies on revelation and suggestion rather than on horror, like sort of body horror or like physical horror. It's it, it's not really necessarily about jump scares. It's it's more about just, oh, there's, you know, something strange happening. Something has happened here. I guess what I was going to say, is there a way, um, we've talked a bit about sort of revelation and, you know, audience playing with things and doing objectives and then revealing things. Is there a way of bringing moments of more immediacy to the horror that's playing out in front of them though? And is the way that you do that as you bring the audience into one audience into the new space, the second audience you're bringing away, you know, maybe you go, Oh, you know, someone shut the door to keep the light or something like that. I don't know. Is how do we bring immediacy as well as like slow paced revelation into that horror space yeah i don't know that's an interesting thought there's something interesting about um you just saying there about going through you know almost being split up a second time around like if you're used to being with a group of 10 people and then suddenly you find yourself just two of you with something Mm. um it's uh, i guess how you disorient depending on what you get used to and how you then what changes and subverts Mm. and i don't what were your thoughts on it on the immediacy yeah, I mean, I guess you that's definitely true. I didn't think about splitting people up further. That's really that's spooky. I would hate that. <laughs> this is a, uh, the way I'm thinking about this is I'm I'm making something that I would really not enjoy because I just do not like this kind of stuff. Um but uh, yeah, that kind of thing would be great. I guess as well, maybe there are some things that we pre-rig, maybe, you know, a few closing and opening cupboard doors, things like that that you you do mechanically and and you pre-rig. But maybe there is a way of oh, you need to oh, quick, you left something in that room behind there. And as you're doing that, we know the audience is being taken through another corridor. So they run across that corridor. Maybe that yeah. loses some of the revelation for that that audience member, but maybe there's something there. I think tempo and rhythm is important in terms of that immediacy, that it, 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 the rhythm is always being needs to always be broken. I think there's sort of a benefit of being in a big 
space is that that can really happen. There are moments where you're static in a room for a while, and then the next you have to move through spaces quite quickly. But the sort of like, um, yeah, that 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 I think is where the immediacy will come to life as well. And it's sort of like if you're just taking the curtain, taking the curtains down as an example, there's a, that becomes a quite a frenzy. It feels like there's moments of frenzy in the film as well, where it sort of becomes frenetic. And it's how, but how could you borrow that those rhythm shifts to build something kind of in a more immersive sense? And yeah just loop it, looping back full circle to being like making talking about something that potentially um some of us wouldn't go to or would be terrified if we were there it goes back to that idea it, yeah, to loop back to the earlier thought about it, in a theater space a sort of a more simplified stripped back version which is more about storytelling and imagination i go is that is that where the is actually that where the potency lies what's the thing that i think would be really hard to resist in an immersive version of this because the space would just ask for it is that you need to? You sort. I don't think you could be sort of half in, half out. Like if you, mm. the experience would have to be that experience, and therefore would that would that lend itself to being something which was terrifying? <laughs> um, and is that a, is that a good thing or not? Whereas in in the theatre space, you can you can transport, we can engage our imagination, where we'd experience it in a different way, which would still be uh, scary. But is there then more? Con- have you got more control of the tempo and the rhythm in the way that in a in a house? Uh, we could create tempo and rhythm by moving around, but actually, the once the tension starts and you feel like you're locked into a space, would you ever really be able to dissipate it back down? Whereas in in a more controlled theatre environment, you know that uh, the ebb and the flow of the terror could be managed in a different way. Whereas this is is like um, House of Horror escape room <laughs> extravaganza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we could do something though. Like maybe there's maybe there's a meal that's part of it. I was just about to say a meal. Yeah. I think that's a great way of breaking it up. Or a bit. when we do that music thing, we were, you suggested maybe maybe they all have a jam, and so the people playing the instruments they're just having a jam <laughs> or something. I don't know something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that the way to me. To, to make it work either something like a meal to, to break things up or an objective that's fun rather than about something spooky so making your objectives you know the in that gamification of the whole experience you say uh you know I, I don't know like oh for this next bit i need uh you to find all of these different elements that we can put together to work out the next bit of the mystery that would feel more like a game than than necessarily a, a spook fest i guess is gamification a word because if it is i'm stealing that have you invented that i love uh, that uh, no i have not invented that i wish i'd invented that um no i think gamification is a because we gamify lots of things i mean like netflix do their uh, choose your own adventure things and and stuff like that so i think there's I don't think I I definitely didn't make that up. I'm not sure where I got it from though. <laughs> well, I am t- I, t- I love that gamification. <laughs> and choose your own adventure is an interesting concept as well with this in mind. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think I think there would be I think with all the complexity of what we've already talked about, I think adding in I don't know, it with w- when people talk about immersive theater it's often as you've already brought up Matt, this kind of dichotomy between whether the audience actually are voyeurs or whether they actually have an effect on the story but there's a there's another distinction between what we've discussed where they do have an effect because they're doing things and if they didn't do them nothing would happen and then but then another split between that and they can actually change the plot i mean we haven't really landed yeah. on a full coherent plot and i'm not sure we're going to in the, in this podcast um it would require hours more discussion <laughs> but yeah i would i would be wary of setting up this incredibly logistically challenging thing and then saying right now let's have seven different possibilities at nine different points. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's that difference between like uh, an immersive, like gamified theater and then like playable theater, which is like just the audience control the story. The audience are the ones that make everything happen. They have full agency rather than this is more like you have a certain amount of agency we're affording you, but we control exactly mm. what that looks like. Uh, yeah, I think. Um... Uh, just uh, looping backwards and forwards and all this, it made me think actually, are you then as the audience, the new recruits of staff in the house? And that's why, and you're working, you're, the, the, the performers that you spend the time with are the people who, who, uh, own the house in their version of it. Um, and they're inducting you into the house and these things start happening in their house while you're working there. So therefore you can be, you can be voyeurs to a seance that's happening. You can be involved in things like, um, taking the curtains down and um uh you know locking rooms and doors but you're not you're not the you're not control you're sort of i guess it's hierarchical that the 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 company the acting company 
are the the, the house owners, the house um, the people, yeah, the people who own the house, and that you are you are under their authority, um, and that maybe then there are plants within the audience who are also part of the acting company who are the Miss Mrs Mills and Mr Tuttles kind of, uh, and that 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 also st- plays around with doubt throughout it, where suddenly you feel somebody who's in your group starts doing and controlling the action in a way that feels like, is this okay? Is it not okay? And that might be an interesting yeah. line to play with. It also means there's always control from within the group that's orchestrated. And you've also got very clear control um, in terms of the narrative, following the narrative and the beats of the narrative by following Grace and the other family who would be on the, the other side, that maybe there's uh, some kind of logic in that. Yeah. All, it also feels like it speaks of a time when, I mean, even just that, the idea of being in a house with, servants and the idea of wealth and class and how all that plays into it and actually whether there's some really sort of interesting sub stuff to play around with and explore there in terms of like the kind of yeah what that what that means in terms of class and wealth yeah and i i kind of do think maybe there's uh maybe there's even a way that we we separate by a little bit more the time between in the in the film it kind of seems like there's maybe 10 years between um like the others and the intruders uh, maybe there's a way that we separate it by maybe even like 25 or 30 years or maybe even 40 years, kind of push that a bit. And so then you get this moment, the moment where they the, we reveal there's been two audiences the whole time. Maybe, first of all, maybe you get the audience to like dress in period costume, but there's obviously two periods. But maybe also that moment of revelation is like a moment of seeing that class impact that role that you have to play as a staff in a house rather than like a you know rich upper middle class person who owns this house how that happens through the ages and it keeps happening and there's maybe there's something in in that that we could bring out in the blue sky thinking version where we don't have to worry about logic or anything logistical yeah. or any of that <laughs> i love that but maybe that in my head i was like maybe there's like five different groups of people and they're all from yeah, d- yeah. different points in time and it just it all works <laughs> We have a five-way mirror. They're all seeing each other. <laughs> yeah. uh, we use seven of, different dimensions. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, um, I think actually relinquish the shackles of logic and just go, yeah, God, that would be... Um, and there's full costuming when the audience arrives. So they're, yeah. they're, they're measured and fitted into their era of costume. <laughs> it will be a day and time beyond social distancing and COVID measures. So it, it will be possible. Uh, and how? Because I think dressing up is so would be so fun as well if you um, that immerses you right that mm. that feeling of oh, i'm part of this because i'm dressed the same way as all of these people as are. someone who went to the great gatsby in tracksuit i can i can confirm it's better to be in in the right in the right dress <laughs> yeah you, uh, and we're having a meal as part of it like it's sort of, um uh, in this big oh i was like <laughs> practical brain was like how would everyone get to the house doesn't matter um it yeah would, <laughs> <laughs> it would just, you would just be there and i think that it's sort of that all of that stuff, I think, would be the way also to give it the lightness of touch that would stick away from the horror. Is I think that the finding those that I think the playfulness, for example, of being dressed in costume, it distances you a little bit from it all being too real. If you're, mm. you know, in your best 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever era where we end up landing in, it's the same thing as like being in the audience and they're being and watching the stage. There's a there's a safety between those two spaces that, and the contract that exists between those two spaces feels less clear in an immersive context and it's about i guess also the responsibility of how you look after the audience and making them feel making them feel safe so then they're willing to be scared rather than just scaring them and i think things like the costuming really helps with putting space between you and the action but also um is a reminder that we're playing yeah i feel like we're we're coming to the end of maybe this I'd love to just keep going with. Well, I think we could do this do for hours because within because logic, so many things logic. to <laughs> refine and so many places to go. But I always think of this this podcast as like you know the first exciting discussion and what if we were doing it for real would be a, a long long line of intricate details. Um, and I think we have that first discussion in the bag at this point. Yeah. I would love to make this, but never to go to it. That's yeah, I yeah. I would love to be in the in the tech box, but never an audience member. <laughs> uh, fantastic, um, Matt. Thank you so much. That was just so much fun. H- what are you up to right now? Have you got anything to tell us about? This is your soapbox. Hey, well, talking about adaptation and horror, I'm currently working on Let the Right One In, um, which is going to be staged and performed at Lambda 
uh, later in the year was supposed to be happening um, in a few weeks' time, but because of lockdown and um, the restri- current restrictions, has been rescheduled to later in the year. So we've just spent some time developing um, and exploring the play, um, and we'll be returning to make it for live stream in summer. So very much currently living in this place of film to stage adaptation and horror. <laughs> Although Let the Right One In is uh, definitely more brutal um, and violent. Uh, so yeah, uh, currently um, uh, working on that, which for later in the year. Cool. And and where can people find you online if they want to hear more about your, your work or follow whatever you're up to? Uh, Twitter, good old Twitter. My handle is Hasselmatt, so my name inverted, which is a combination of posting about creative theatre stuff and posting and reposting nice nature pictures so um (laughs) it is a combination of the two things seems to be where um yeah it's it's something about um amazing wildlife photography that's really helping me through lockdown and and covid i just find it all so lovely and calming so just putting some of that out into the world (laughs) yeah i'm i'm down in cornwall right now and it's just nice to be in this lovely setting of just like everywhere I turn is just this beautiful natural environment, which is I think I, I would not have coped in a city during all of this. I don't think. No, those those green spaces are like a sanctuary at the moment. I feel the opposite. I wish I was in a city. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jake, where can people find you online? People can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Jake Reesh. That's J A K E R E E S H. And where can people find you, Caleb? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox at Caleb Lebster. That's C A L E B L E B S T E R. Thank you, Caleb. And of course, we are Maybe You Like It Productions, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It with the letter U, or on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions, or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybe you like it.co.uk and if you enjoyed this episode or indeed any of our episodes you can leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on whether it's apple spotify and share us around with your friends and as always thank you very much cav to this wonderful theme tune that is playing uh, which matt complimented before we started recording so well done again cav um, it is a great theme tune and uh, other than that maybe you liked it maybe you didn't you're dead That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.